Hello, I'm Party Parslow, and this is Party in China. It's the story of my fascinating, frustrating, and very funny adventures teaching English in the Chinese provinces of Sichuan and Jiangsu. This is the truth, but it's not the whole truth because just too much happened, and it's not nothing but the truth. Because there are jokes and hearsay, conjecture and mistakes, and because most of the time I had no idea what the hell was going on over there. Previously on Party in China, I'd opened the door of my brand new apartment in the city of Diyang, in the western province of Sichuan, to a beefy officer and her weasel-faced NCO who were still tangling and untangling wires and unplugging and re-plugging plugs behind my TV. While keeping up a constant barrage of incomprehensible banter, I told my boss, Mr. Wong, that the TV didn't work, but had expected him to send the cable guy, not a couple of uninformed uniforms. Now the officer pulled out her mobile phone and called someone, only to ask a single question and then cackle continuously. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> and so on. I found her wicked witch routine odd, half expecting her to continue. And your little dog too. But now I know that in Sichuan it's the equivalent of saying, "Hmm, yeah, okay, right, right, yeah." It's just the noises we make in conversation to show that we're listening and understand. Standing in the corner, ignored, I came to the realization that I was committed to spending the next ten months in Diyang. Sure, I'd already signed a contract, crammed almost everything I owned into a tiny storage unit, and flown to another hemisphere. But it finally struck me that I'd really be there for a whole year because, only half an hour earlier, I'd bought a pack of ten toilet rolls. That's a serious commitment for someone with my lack of purpose. Not that it occurred to me at the time of purchase. I chose that particular product because of the slogan on the packaging: "Mind act upon mind." Mind act upon mind. What the hell has that got to do with loo paper? Paper act upon bumhole. I could understand, but mind act upon mind. Still, it was early days. I had yet to become used to being constantly confused. After enduring a bad night in Singapore Airport, I'd flown to Tianjin. Ah, Tianjin. Glittering gem of the east coast of China, Tianjin. The very name conjures up exotic, mysterious images of. Well, nothing really. I'd never heard of the place before I booked the flight. Turns out Tianjin is the hub of the Binhai New Area, a municipality just to the south and east of Beijing, designed to take the pressure off the overcrowded capital. There's a handy 30-minute bullet train into Beijing, but not for me. Instead of zooming around on a 300-kilometer-an-hour railway, I'd be sitting around for hours waiting for my connecting flight. Tianjin Airport is a small, ugly building with a KFC as its most exciting facility. I wandered in there to scout for breakfast, but there was nothing visible that actually resembled chicken. Of course, in China, KFC could stand for Kowloon Fried Cat, or crickets, or colon warts. When I'd accepted the job of English teacher, I'd been instructed to tell anyone who asked that I was a tourist. The recruiters had assured me that it was perfectly normal for foreigners to work on tourist visas while they waited for the proper paperwork to come through. They didn't say it was legal, just normal. Naturally, I was worried about the deception, but immigration and customs hadn't just been perfunctory. 
They obviously couldn't give a carefree crap who I was or why I was there. Kind of takes the fun out of lying. Speaking of lying, they call it Red China, but everything I'd seen so far was grey. The sky we slalomed down through consisted of grey clouds. Every so often grey skyscrapers had loomed far too closely through my tiny window and then been lost in grey swirl. The airstrip was dark grey, the buildings were light grey. I ventured outside to take my first look at the real China. It was grey. In every direction, half-built high-rises were crowned with huge cranes. It was to become a familiar sight. I've been told that half of all the cranes in all the world are in China. They're reinventing and renovating the whole nation, economically, sociologically, perhaps even politically. And construction is absolutely everywhere. Even though you'd think you'd have better things to do, Bill Gates worked out that between 2011 and 2013, China used more concrete than the USA did in the whole 20th century. They should change the national flag to include a couple of cranes and a sack of concrete. Or maybe just a red background with some scaffolding and to be advised. The road to the airport was still under construction. Small buses and tiny taxis emerged from the grey gloom of a large grey ramp that suddenly stopped just past the grey aluminium airport doors. To prevent the public from plummeting onto whatever was down there, a grey concrete barrier had been placed across the precipice. Well, not prevent, more discourage, as there was plenty of room for inattentive or suicidal drivers to wend their way through. This seems to be typically Chinese. They give you fair warning of danger, but after that, you're on your own. There are no notices on coffee cups explaining that the contents may be hot, or labels on a hairdryer advising you not to use it while scuba diving. It's nice when the law doesn't assume you're a bloody idiot. I watched the traffic for a while, but when no kamikaze cabbies took a dive to their doom, I went back inside, unsure whether the ubiquitous greyness was fog, smog or rain clouds. I'm still not sure, but I'm betting on pollution. Even in the northern summer, I didn't see the sun for many weeks in China, and when it did show up, it was with a pale and regretful hue. Back inside, I learnt there was at least one interesting and disgusting aspect to the boring airport. There were two women riding electric floor polishing machines, ceaselessly circumnavigating the terminal. After a few hours, I wondered why they were still going. The floor must surely have been clean. But following one of the polishers on her random course, it suddenly became clear, nauseatingly clear. They weren't polishing the tiles, they were cleaning up innumerable glistening globs of sticky spit. Everywhere I looked, people were casually expectorating on the floor, matter-of-factly flinging phlegm in all directions. Feeling ill, I rushed outside, took in several calming breaths of grey air and wondered what those women wrote down under occupation on their tax forms. Spit sweeper? Gob grabber? Executive sinus content recovery specialist? Oh, Mr Buddy, Wong is here. I led Mr Wong into the apartment and he immediately joined the cops in their hectic activity between my television and the wall. It was getting crowded back there, so I moved a coffee table to give them some more room, accidentally revealing another wall socket for the outside antenna. Mr Wong pounced upon it, plugged in the cable, and my TV screen burst into life. Noisy, off-key, incomprehensible life. It was on the Chinese opera channel. As I frantically searched for the remote to turn it off again, 
Mr Wong explained that the coppers were actually security guards from the school, that the Weasley NCO had claimed he could fix my TV for me, and that the large lady had come along just to boss him around a bit, and that it was he, Mr Wong, who had solved my problem for me. Not the other two, him. But the other two realised he was claiming credit and a loud argument ensued. As I herded them all to the door, I reflected that if I'd had my way, I wouldn't even be there to have a problem that needed solving by anybody. Not yet, anyway. Rather than suffer a third flight, I'd asked my recruiters to book me on a train from Tianjin to Chengdu. I thought it would be a nice way to see some of the country, meet a few locals. A little web wandering had found a 22-hour train trip, long but perhaps worthwhile, and four available classes of travel. Hard seat, soft seat, hard bed, soft bed. Hard and soft seats are as advertised. Hard bed is a cabin with no door and six or eight bunks. Soft bed is a cabin with only four bunks and a door you can close for privacy. Obviously the best option and only around 100 Australian dollars to cross more than half of the huge nation. I was looking forward to a relaxing railroad odyssey, but Belinda, my recruiter, had shattered my hopes via Skype. The train I'd found was already fully booked. She explained that tickets went on sale 11 days before. Why 11? Why not 10 or 14? and that the tickets sold fast. There was another train I could catch. Oh, good. But there might only be hard seats available. Uh, bad. But I could definitely get a standing room ticket. Forget it. And it zigzagged across several provinces, taking 37 hours. I said, forget it. So she'd booked me on a plane instead, and I was about to board OK Airlines. OK is not a good name for an airline. Air travel should be conducted within a comforting cocoon of superlatives. The best, the fastest, the safest. Nothing as worryingly ordinary as OK should even be mentioned. But OK Airlines doesn't even live up to its less than OK name. The moment the flight was called, I experienced my first Chinese queue. Imagine being in a crowded cinema, standing in front of the nearest exit and yelling, Fire! It's a bit like that. As most Chinese don't rise past my armpits, try and make it a Disney or Pixar film so it feels like you're being mugged by Oompa Loompas. I found the stupidity more frustrating than the scrum. There were a lot of us. There was a single small door we all had to fit through to get on a plane upon which we all had assigned seats. No point in early birds brawling for worms. On board the plane, as the mall died down, the aloof cabin crew deigned to walk among us delivering loud harangues to any ne'er-do-wells who'd caused their chairs to recline before takeoff, And pity the fool who may have prematurely lowered the tray table. One flight attendant performed the safety demo in a way that made it clear her most devout wish would be an unscheduled water landing as she'd already taken the time to puncture our inflatable life jackets. When we arrived in Chengdu, the scramble to disembark made the boarding brawl seem like harmless hijinks. You'll think I'm lying when I tell you that a middle-aged man in a suit held his briefcase in his teeth and crawled on his hands and knees over the seat headrest to get past the crowd clashing in the aisle. I know, I couldn't believe it either. And I can hardly believe that this time I took part in the riot, shoving rivals back into their seats and moving overhead luggage to lockers further back so their owners had to push behind me instead of in front. I mean, unacceptable behaviour normally, but already... My normality felt long, long ago and far, far away. 
At the time, I put it down to jet lag, but now I see it as the first symptom of the madness which was going to engulf me over there. Next time, I undergo the first of what would become many truly terrifying trips in Chinese traffic. I spend my first bewildering night in the Sichuan capital of Chengdu, and I suffer through the ritualistic public humiliation of a physical examination by Chinese medical authorities. Wait till you hear how horrible that was. All that, much more, still to come on Party in China. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.